Welcome to the Women's Health Podcast. I'm Marika Hart from Herosphere. And I'm Anthony Lowe, the Physio Detective. Together we interview leading authorities, answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information we can find on all aspects of women's health. Please remember that our materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and for entertainment purposes only. They are not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Now it's time to get cracking with the episode. So whether you're out walking your dog, driving the kids to school or just sitting back enjoying a glass of wine, we hope you enjoy the show. Everybody, welcome to the podcast. Today we've got Robin Kerr with us. Robin Kerr is a physiotherapist of um, great experience. I met Robin uh, in 2015 when I heard her speak at a conference. She was um, speaking about things that actually made sense, that were really practical in application. And I left the session thinking, oh wow, that was really sensible and really helpful. And we've been able to be friends ever since. Um, she's put up with my quirkiness and, and the things that I have passion about. And uh, she's got some great ideas. And I thought, um, we thought, that it would be a great topic. Why is there still so much back pain? And talking about back pain and and some of the reasons why back pain exists, uh, where the research is taking us, and, and what we can do about back pain. So uh, that's going to be the topic for today. Uh, you can tell us a little bit about yourself, Robin. But um, with us today is our co-host Marika Hart and. We've got Elaine Stevenson taking live notes for the show notes and the references. Thank you very much for helping us out, Elaine. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Robin. What's some of your history and your background for the people that don't know you? Um, I'm, uh, I actually did uh, rolfing before I did physiotherapy. Um, that was way back, late 70s. Um, ran away screaming from that because it, for me, um, for my body, I just couldn't accept that that was the right thing to do to a body that was in pain to hurt it. But I, I, I really did appreciate um, the way that Ida Rolf looked at bodies. Um, so I uh, came back, I was in the military, came back, um, went into some uh, actual grunt soldier stuff, decided that when I got married, we couldn't have two soldiers in the family, so became a physio. Um, and uh, became a military physio to start with. So right from the get-go, my life was with young, fit uh, folk who uh, had to perform, uh, very much performance-based. A lot of lumbar pelvic uh, work, a lot of... It was just in the um, early 80s when the jogging craze was starting, so we were having... Um, a lot of our guys were doing a lot of running as well as running around in their boots all day. Lots and lots of knees and foot. Um, I did a lot of postgraduate training in biomechanics um, in gate lab running assessment. Got involved with um, uh, international level uh, sprinters. Uh, have been wrapped up with um, quite elite sport for the last three decades. Predominantly with track and field and running, um, but also with a bit of team sport as well. So uh, around 2000, I, I, um, we moved to Hong Kong, my husband's a pilot, moved to Hong Kong, opened up a big sports practice 
uh, and then for some odd reason decided I'd had enough of that and became a pelvic floor physio and a low back pain and chronic pain physio. Um, so since about 2000, I've been specialising in pelvic floor and um, uh, persistent pain, which was a, a huge, huge jump from being a, a sports physio to what I'm doing now. And to be honest with you, I still do a bit of everything. Uh, I think I've, I'm still managing. I think I've got seven world champs at the moment I'm still working with. Um, so that's a bit of a, a sidetrack for me every now and then. So it sounds like you have quite the variety of uh, clientele, Robin. I do. It's interesting. I, um, I was just looking at my patient list the other day. I had uh, elite level athletes coming in and then I, I've got some um, little old incontinent ladies coming in so I can I've got to sort of morph a fair bit during the day at work yeah I'm currently too just training to become a psych because I'm moving out of physio I've given myself a couple more years in physio and um, getting a bit messed up in the head because I'm um, still in physio but becoming a psychologist <laughs> I could imagine those psychology skills would be very handy for the for all the chronic pain work that you're doing at the moment. it is and that's the reason I've gone into it but the the I think the problem at the moment is, is that I'm becoming a little bit schizophrenic. You know, when I'm in the room, I can see that I should be more of a psychologist, but I'm still a physio and I have to keep practicing as a physio for a while yet. Pain your scope. Um, yeah. Because we're going to talk about pain today, Robin, I think right. people have um, misconceptions about or misunderstandings about what pain actually is. Yeah. Um, would you mind just describing for our audience, you know, what is pain and why we experience it? Sure. So I think, it's become a very negative thing, but uh, I think a good way to look at pain is that the system was designed when we used to live in caves and outside there were saber-toothed tigers and things that would like to eat us running around. So the, the whole end of the game is that our brains became protective and predictive. If we were injured or if we had some sort of problem going on, um, the whole aim of the game was to make us go back in our cave and lay down and stay away from the danger and wait until we were better or hide until we're better until we can go out, we can run away or we can put up a fight. So essentially um, we're, we're working with a bit of uh, probably outdated equipment. It's, it's fantastic equipment, but it's a little bit, little bit useless for some of the modern uh, day lives that we live. Um, so essentially it's protective. And the whole system's designed that, uh, based on your private prior experiences, that you're protected. Um, it can be a really good thing. Um, having a, a pain uh, process memory can be a really good thing, keep you out of danger in the future. Um, but because of neuroplasticity, it can also become a little bit of a, a wind-up process and it be, can become a, what we often find problems with is the more persistent or the chronic pain, uh, which is usually what people would be coming to see a, a physiotherapist about. Um, we, we, we get acute pain and a chronic pain. Acute pain is more just protective. Uh, that happens to everybody. You tread on a nail, you know, you, you hurt, you jump, you get over it. Um, but the, the persistent pain is more to do with um, neuroplasticity and uh, it's very, very complex. Um, I, I don't think we should look at it as a negative thing, though. I think uh, we've made it a very negative thing. Um, but I think we need to maybe change the way we think about pain um, and uh, accept pain, I think. Do you have to have tissue damage to have pain? Because I think a lot of people yeah. just yeah. associate, okay, I have pain, therefore there's something wrong. 
Right. So if yeah, a lot of times you can have an acute tissue damage and the, the, we've got uh, sensors in our tissues called nociceptors that send messages to the brain saying, do you think you need to have a look at this? Is this dangerous? Um, the, 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 they don't, they, the tissue sensors don't cause the pain. It's your brain that decides whether something needs to be, you need to be protected from something by the generation of pain. But what can happen over a period of time is that can, there can be some changes in the, the system, uh, a sensitization of the system where you can be having pain, um, but there's no issue in the tissues as the way I explain it to my patients. So um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's something wrong in your back, in your muscles, in your disc, if you've got persistent low back pain. That's the tricky thing. So just to clarify for the audience then, what you're saying is, is that if you've got low back pain because you bent over and you, um, you felt something go in your back and you got sharp pain, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've blown a disc or, you know, you've torn yeah, a muscle. Just, just depends. It depends, you know, that you can have acute fresh injuries. Um, I treat a lot of those in the military. People were falling off ladders and all that sort of thing. Um, but what tends to happen as time goes on is that the, the tissue can heal, uh, but this, this protective, predictive process that your brain goes through to try and keep you in your cave and away from danger, um, with a few other complex things thrown into it, biopsychology and uh, the immune system, um, that will crop up. And you can have uh, what feels like a problem in your back that feels very very real in your back but it actually the tissue isn't causing it i think sometimes when we talk about the um you know some of the science now that's around and some of the research yeah. that when we try and explain about chronic pain and some of the changes to the the central nervous system so the brain and the yeah. spinal cord is that people then interpret that to me you, you're saying that it's in my head. It's in my head. So how do you approach that, Robin? Yeah. Um, pain is real um, and, and low back pain can be punishing. Persistent or chronic low back pain can be absolutely punishing. And uh, I, I think when the, when the pain science first came out and it was starting to be um, what we call pain science education was starting to be meted out by physios and pain clinics, um, I think... I think the delivery uh, was a little bit off um, and it, it, it basically uh, the, the take that a lot of my patients came in with was that they're telling me that the pain's in my head I I, and I can tell you that my back is hurting and the pain is in my back. Uh, and what I normally say to them is your pain is absolutely real. Uh, it, it's uh, very the way that the pain is generated is extremely complex and we often have a bit of a chat about a lot of things that can contribute to persistent pain. Um, very often it's not that much to do with the tissues after quite a long time. Uh, we can talk about that a, a little bit if you want, about um, other factors that contribute. But one of the things that I often say to people is that um, since about 1990, there's been a 54% increase in low back pain around the world. So between 54%, so between 1990 and 2015, the low back pain rate in the world increased 54%. That's massive. So something's happened and something's gone on with that. Um, and when you break it down, um, you look at teenagers, you know, little kids under 10 don't have much back pain. 
But, you know, 40% of teenagers, so from a, from a 9 to an 18-year-old, you know, 40% of them will have uh, a bout of back pain. Um, and if you, it, within a one-year period, if you look at adults, you know, probably I think the number off the top of my head was 37% of adults have back pain. So, you know, that, that's, um, it, it's, a, it's a common thing to experience. Uh, unfortunately, I think what's happened is that we've medicalised it, um, we've biomedicalised it, we've blamed it on blown discs and torn muscles, and we haven't actually probably accepted the fact that pain's just a part of life, uh, and it's um, it's become something that we try to chase and fix rather than something that we, as a society, just accept as part of um, part of living. Yeah, it's kind of kind of an unpleasant thing, but it's um it's just part of living. With those stats, I think I think the fifty four percent increase in such a short period of time. I think we've got to be looking at the baby boomers. We've got to be looking at an aging uh, population, and we've also got to be looking at um, uh, population explosion, probably in third world or lower socioeconomic uh, places, and in those sort of places too. Um, you've got a lot of people doing some pretty full on heavy work maybe without the protection that places like Australia would have. Um, so they're, you know, they're, they're working in fairly poor conditions and um, not with the health and safety that we would have. It's interesting, you know, the statistics I'm fairly confident haven't really changed very much, but, you know, the, the increase in ergonomic awareness in occupational health and safety, work health and safety has definitely increased since I've been at, since I learnt about it at university, um, can you speak to where we've been in the past? Because, you know, it was about alignment, about neutral spine, about lifting with bent knees and straight backs. And can you tell us a little bit about uh, where we've been um, okay. in terms of how we've been managing it and where we're going? Well, we've been managing it from what we call a biomedical perspective, which is very biomechanical, very tissue-based. Uh, when I went through my training, um, definitely the rolfing side of things was very mechanical. Uh, when I went through physio training, uh, and I think it still is to a fairly high degree, um, all my training as a, as a student was linked up to um, looking at uh, the biomechanics of the spine. So what the discs were doing, what the joints were doing, what the muscles were doing. Um, we started talking things like uh, the core muscles being weak. If your core muscles are weak, maybe your back, that's why your back got hurt. And um, a, a lot of that now we realise it's too simplistic and too zoomed in and it's only a really small piece of uh, the puzzle in low back pain. Uh, so probably, um, I, I think probably in the last eight to ten years, where a lot of the pain science is coming through now, um, and there's definitely more of a what we call a biopsychosocial uh, push in the treatment of low back pain. Um, I think a lot of therapists um, are still predominantly looking at the bio, the biomedical side of it, and that could possibly be why we haven't done so well despite all our new MRIs and all our you know, physios and people running around with PhDs and masters in all sorts of things, uh, that the rate of low back pain or the suffering from low back pain may not be improving very much. And I think it's because we went down that mechanical route and we need to zoom back out. We need to look at other things like the immune system and psychology, um, social social 
economic, psychosocial uh, factors as well, which is what to where medicine's going at the moment. The biopsychosocial stuff is, uh, especially in uh, persistent pain, is uh, becoming uh, the kind of the, the daily way people work. But uh, it's a little bit on the slow uptake side. Everything in medicine takes about 17 years, and I think it's probably still another 10 away. Can you explain what some of those concepts and words are, please, Robin? Biopsychosocial. Biopsychosocial, yep. contributing so, factors. Yeah, so the biopsychosocial um, is uh, when you look at think something as complex as low back pain, um, there's different pieces that feed into it. So the bio is linked up to the tissues. Um, the psycho is, is more to do with psychology. Uh, and the social is uh, more of a society, the way that we live. Um, so with the, the bio is pretty obvious, you know, that, that we were talking about in the past, we would have talked about herniated discs and um, degenerative arthritic facet joints and wear and tear, tissue wear and tear. The uh, psychological, we, unfortunately, we, we, we've separated in medicine. So, you know, we, we, we as physios were tending to do, when I was training in the 80s and 90s and 2000s, the bio, and then you've got the psychs doing the other side of the psychological. And, and what we know now is that there's a very heavy link up uh, to chronic or persistent low back pain with um, anxiety and depression, um, with uh, tendencies to catastrophize, um, uh, go out, ruminate and go over and over the you know the, the issues. Um, we we know that there's a huge impact on pain levels and uh, health going into adulthood with people who've had adverse childhood experiences, uh, what we call ACEs. Um, we know it's much more complicated now. And, and you know, for example, with a low back pain patient uh, who would come in to see me, um, very often, uh, one of the first things that I do, there's a couple of uh, tools that I use that I can just very quickly see whether we have a lot of psychological possible contribution to, to the issues that they've got. There's a couple of questionnaires physios use. I tend to do it a bit more just through talking and, and asking questions. Um, very often, um, the, the experiences somebody has had um, as, as a child will heavily influence how their brain functions. Um, and they are much more predisposed to developing persistent pain patterns. And that's one of the reasons I've gone off into the psychology. Uh, I, find, I find that quite a significant factor and um, very, um, very interesting to work with. So, and, and the social stuff is just the way that uh, society is set up and the, the way that we function at work and how our institutions are set up which at the moment, um, you know, in Australia, we've got workers' comp. So you hurt your back at work, um, you're managed through it, hopefully with a physio. Um, at the end of it, if you don't get better, there's disability or um, hopefully a return to work. Uh, I, I think we need to have a look at parts of that system. I think some of the um, disability pension uh, we have in Australia is a little bit of an issue for people. I think we're looking at back pain as being a catastrophe that you know a lot of people don't recover from. I think we maybe need to take a different look at it. So Robin, on that note, just imagine you have someone coming into your clinic. Um, just say I come into your clinic, I've had an acute episode of back pain. Yep. What would be some of the things that would indicate to you that I'm more likely to recover quickly 
Like what would be some of the things that I say or maybe mention about my history that you kind of go, oh, well, I think she's going to be okay yeah. versus, yeah. and what would be some of the things that a patient might say that you kind of think, well, it's a bit more of a red flag for me. Yeah. I think this okay. person might be more likely to have persistent pain. Sure. I think um, a lot of the research has talked about um, self-resilience. Um, so uh, with, with a uh, when you take a history of a patient, uh, it becomes very obvious whether they are up and at it and uh, look like they might be able to problem solve for themselves and to be able to push through a little bit of pain to get their rehab program done. So that that is a positive factor. Um, I think uh, during during assessments, we often ask people about the general health and you know um, how they've been travelling. And it, it, when you people start to mention that they're taking uh, anxiety or depression medications or um, they've had a history of needing some psychology, that would be a, a flag to me. It's not necessarily a, a thing that's going to hold them up from getting better, um, but it's going to just be a pointer towards that there's a little bit more of a complex picture going on here. Um, and, you know, uh, very often you're... Uh, with with acute back pain that comes in, it, it, you can see you can see that there is a tissue based element to it. Um, uh, you know, you, it, it's quite obvious. Whereas with the more persistent pain, which is you know we're looking at things going on for longer than three to six months, years sometimes, um, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And it's often labelled non-specific low back pain because it's much more difficult to work out what actually is the pain driver. Uh, and there's a whole heap of tests that physios go through to um, uh, try and work out which tissue is causing it. And very often we end up not knowing because it's much more complicated than the tissue stuff. So to summarise so far, uh, what I'm hearing you say, Robin, is that um, we know that pain is complicated, that there's been some new science come out that's been helpful in showing just how complex it is and and in the past, we've really focused on the, the biological side of things. So things like the discs okay. and the muscles and the ligaments and alignment. And, and you've touched on, on thinking that that hasn't really changed why there are so many people with back pain. Um, mm. and, and that there are other things like the psychological side of things and society and culture and, and the world that we live in and the, the contributing factors from there as well. Um, sure. with, with all of that in mind um, and understanding that, you're, that pain is really real, like you emphasize that all pain is real and that it, it's suffering um, and that people aren't imagining it, they're not making it up. Um, where do we go forward? What's, what's the science pointing towards um, you know, you've spoken a bit about resiliency, but somebody listening to this podcast might be in pain and they just want something to help because they're suffering. Um, what are some of those things that they can do? Right. There's been, a, there's been a lot of work done recently about where we go to and what we do. And the, the basic is to uh, stay active and to understand what pain is all about. So, and that's something that physios or good therapists should be able to provide patients with. Um, I think one of the red flags uh, for a patient, if they are going to whatever sort of therapist they pick to see, um, if, if they're being given predominantly a biomedical or biomechanical or tissue-based 
explanation for their pain, especially if their pain's been hanging around for quite a long time. Uh, I think the patient as a consumer needs to start to be a little bit more discerning and maybe look elsewhere. Um, they need to know that there's a lot, if they've got persistent low back pain in particular, there's a lot more involved than the tissues. And, you know, going to, going to the therapist, you know, twice a week for 10 weeks and not really getting a, a whole heap better is a really common scenario for a lot of people. Um, they kind of just accept that that's the way the thing works. And I think that's where things start to become quite distressing too because they don't start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Whereas if you turn up to see uh, a physio or a therapist, any sort of therapist, um, and they said to you, look, you know, this is, it looks like you've injured this tissue. On the whole, um, uh, things look pretty straightforward. We'd expect you'd get better in the next six weeks. The science says you'll probably be feeling a lot better in the next six weeks. Um, probably you might find two thirds of people we find still have some pain at three to six months. And, you know, I think it's another 35% of people will have a recurrence of their pain over the next 12 months. I tell my patients the stats. Um, but the, the thing to know is, is that you, you your body uh, is, unless you've got a lot of ill health, your body is designed to adapt and to heal itself. It's not a piece of machinery that um, breaks and may not be able to be repaired. Your body's a biological, adaptable organism and we just have to work out the right input for it, for it to move forward. And, you know, unfortunately, there are also, there are people who um, will live in pain. I think that's something that we don't accept very well. I think, um, I think because of our biomedical approach, um, oh, I haven't, my core's too weak, I'll have to get my core stronger and it's my fault my back hasn't got better because I've got weak core muscles or I've, I've got to get a better medication. I think, I think we've got to accept that um, pain is, a, pain is a, some people call it a phenomenon. Um, it's a emergence that comes out of us, out of our brains, um, that's so complex that we don't understand it yet. And that some people will be living with it, but there is always hope that you can live with the disability that you have from the pain. And I think we're, we're far too um, fatalistic and uh, always looking for your a cure with medications or injections or finding another therapist. You know, sometimes I have people coming to me in the persistent pain uh, clinic that I work in uh, and they've on the go, they've probably got six or seven different types of therapists. Um, you know, they've often got a couple of doctors that they're seeing for medication and injections. And I think, I think sometimes we just have to accept that, that that's because we've gone up the wrong pathway and we need to back it out and we need to have a look at other things. You mentioned movement and exercise, and yes. a lot of our um, a lot of people that Auntie and I might talk to online, or um, even clients that come and see us. You 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 mentioned it beautifully there, Robin. That there's this idea that um, you know I'm injured because I wasn't strong enough. Mm. If I do these particular exercises and do lots of bracing and squeezing of muscles of my core, that's going to protect my back and that's going to help me. Um, so, would you like just to talk a little bit about movement and exercise? And um, I know it's a very a massive area, but any tips that you would give to someone who had um, persistent pain? Um, sure. 
sometimes. Yeah, I think I, I think it's always good to have um, a good therapist who can make sure that you've got nothing nasty going on. So that that's the GP's job, and that's the that's that's a good manual therapist or a good physiotherapist job to make sure you haven't got something actually biological that could knock you off. Um, so and that's you know that's not a hard thing to do if we, we're well trained and you know that that gets done in the first session usually. Um, I think uh, the problem with the exercise is that, um, you know, we're uh, all therapists are humans and everybody turns up with their own bias. The research is telling us that exercise, if you look at the research closely, doesn't actually have much better outcome effect than manual therapy you know, or manipulation. Um, but there are a few other benefits to doing it. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and, and you get you get therapists who have got biases too. I, I, I've um, I've done strength and training. I'm a ex Pilates instructor. I've done all sorts of physical, uh, different types of uh, physical training. You get people like Anthony who love lifting heavy. I think you do Pilates. Is that right? Yeah, you know, different people do different things. <laughs> okay, so I think one of the things that we have to let our patients realise or build them to realize is it's their choice you know it has to that what they do with exercise has to suit them i think too often um you know people go well you know get to pilates or come and do some heavy lifting or come and do this or come and do that it's got to be what they want to do and it's got to suit their belief system and time and time again i have people who have actually been caned you know to get uh, exercise done and they hate it uh, so I think one of the really important things is exercise is that you work with somebody who can meet you where you need to be met as far as you, with what you want to do. The other thing I think that um, some research is coming out um, about recently is we tend to um, we tend to be a little bit of afraid of pain when we exercise. Now this is, this is where you need somebody who really is quite good at what they do. Um, I think possibly in the past. Speaking as a physio, um, I think we went far too manually therapy oriented, too much passive therapy, too much on the bed therapy. I can fix you if you come twice a week. I'll get you on the bed and I'll pop you back and I'll put you into alignment. That stuff can help. We, we know from the research that uh, manual therapy gives you a window of relief um, short term. Is it low value? I don't think so. I think manual therapy is really important but i think what people should look for is that they should look for a, a therapist who can themselves take you through uh, an appropriate uh, exercise program or they've got people who they can refer you to or people who are in their clinic and people who they work with who can um, help you start to move in the past i think therapists on the whole have been afraid to move their patients into pain. I think patients are afraid to feel pain when they exercise. And a lot of the, lot of the new research is coming out and saying, if we have this overprotective nervous system that is saying, oh, don't do that, don't do that, that could hurt you, it's predicting that it might hurt you, you do, you do get these negative, um, if you like, pain protection memories. And I, I think one of the things where we're moving to in the future is in the hands of a good therapist or in the hands of a good fitness professional, people with persistent pain to improve their self-resiliency, to stimulate their immune system, because immune systems like a bit of um, physical stress popped into them. Um, I think we're gonna have to exercise people 
into some pain. I think that's been missing. That's something that I've started to do over the last probably three or four years. Uh, it, and it's a matter of just meeting people where they're at and designing a program that starts from easy, lets them have a few wins, you know, that their self-resilience and their self-efficiency starts to build up and then we go harder and harder and harder. So I think it can be a little bit tricky. Uh, I think people maybe can get flared up and, and get hurt if you're not in the right hands. So I think it... I think it's going to come down to a lot of training for the therapist and I think it's going to come down um, to, you know, patients uh, being fairly assertive and just finding the person that they need to work with. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I think we've um, been woozing out with that. I think you can reset it. I think you can help to reset a, a nervous system by um, pushing a little bit of pain through it. Uh, Change yeah, beliefs. Anthony it really does depend on your your population as well, you know. Like I have a lot of athletes that have been pushing through pain, yeah. And the summary the summary of what I do with them is do something different. So if they're pushing through pain all the time, I tend to get them to hold back a little. And then if they don't, if they're really scared of the pain, I tend to push them through a bit. Um, yeah, so that's what you want. You want. I'm talking about people who don't want to bend forwards because they're told not to bend forwards, and I can't bend forwards because the pre predictive protective pain comes on. So um, you know, just a graduated program, and not to be afraid of that. You know, if you if you're with a if you're with a good trainer or a good therapist, they're not you're not going to get hurt. You might get a bit of pain, but that's that whole thing about. You know what is pain? You know, we we pain doesn't necessarily mean that your tissue is breaking, or that there's harm happening. Pain is just your brain doing what it was designed to do to keep you in the cave away from the saber tooth. A lot of the time, when it's persistent. Absolutely. So for for those people who are sitting at home listening, they they've got back pain, or they've got somebody who they know that has back pain. Um, should they just try and start doing more. Um, we know, for example, that walking has just yeah. as good evidence. Um, like what are some of the things that they can do without being, you know, like obviously we recommend people go and seek a health professional, get a proper assessment, um, mm -hmm. get some guidance. But also part of what all of that research that you're talking about says is that all those other therapies usually require somebody and the reason why general exercise has some of the good things that you alluded to is because people can actually do it without having to spend money on things. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and particularly in America where healthcare costs so much and, and hiring somebody costs money, um, what are the simple effective strategies that you've worked with patients? Um, sure. You know, I... I I'm trying to lead you to where I know you go. So what, what are some simple things that are missing in people's lives, Robert? Right. right. The first thing that's missing in people's lives is the, their ability to regulate their own physiology, um, uh, especially when you've got persistent pain. Your, your, your body tends to be in a fight-and-flight sympathetic nervous system uh, area. So one of the things that we need to do is we need to get um, – them to have the ability to be able to calm their nervous system down and the 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 first the easiest way that i use to calm a nervous system down is to uh find effective breathing so slow uh, the, the type of slow abdominal breathing that they do in yoga or meditation or relaxation breathing um 
people don't realise how important being able to breathe in different ways in your body is. There's sports breathing, there's puffing and panning breathing, there's uh, carrying the kids breathing out of one side of your rib cage breathing, there's off your feet relaxed diaphragmatic breathing. I often find the first thing that goes when people start to struggle with pain is that they their muscles tense up naturally around their lower back. Um, their tummy muscles tend to tense up. I actually very rarely um, uh, find that people actually let their muscles go when they're in pain. They, they tend to tense up. And they'll go up onto their coat hanger so they're up in their fight and flight and protection mechanism around their neck. So the first, first the easiest thing that I do um, is to make sure that they know how to control different zones of breathing. Um, and straight away, you know, they're in, you're, you're controlling your physiology doing that. The next thing that I do, um, which is anybody can do at home, is um, human beings went upright onto two legs that are designed to walk. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're designed to walk and we're designed to walk a lot. I think when you've got pain, preferably unloaded, so what I, what I talk about a lot with my patients is if you can just on the flat, you don't have to walk hard, you don't have to puff and pant too much, but I talk about getting into, as you walk along, a little bit of upper body rotation. I call it swagger. So if you think about what's happening, if you look at those beautiful African women who have to walk 30, kilo, uh, 30 kilometres a day with a basket on their head to pick up some food, if you watch how they walk, they're elite level walkers, they walk with nice fluid rotation through their body. And, and if you look at the mechanics of that, there's a lot of nice fluid movement going through the lumbar spine. So in uh, the physiology of it, that can actually help chronic or persistent low back pain a lot. All my persistent back pain patients, their number one go-to is um, go for a walk, go for a, what I call a swagger. Um, and, and hey, Robin, I'll just add to that because I, I went to, um, to do a course with Robin, was that two years ago or three years ago? Yeah, yeah. Queensland two years ago and yeah. that was one of the key things that I took away from that course and I use it a lot so thank you yeah. um, I find it really interesting with um, with a lot of new mums because they're walking with the prams yeah. um, and so they're often you know stuck in that very rigid um, upper body positioning and then getting them to do that so when, when the husband comes home from work or partner comes home from work go for a walk and actually just doing that and the number of clients like within one or two catch-ups they're just saying I don't have that pain anymore you know, and it's been quite a revelation and they've actually gone on to tell, teach their partners yeah. who then their low back pain they have from sitting at a desk all day has gone away. So it yeah. sounded, it sounds so ridiculously simple, yeah. but it's actually incredibly effective. And it's very, very complicated. That That's kind of just a distilled thing from years of watching runners and watching dots move on in gate labs. Um, you, you just see these repetitive uh, Achilles tendonitis and chronic back pains in, in in these marathon runners, and it usually came down to you know what the rotation was like in their thoracic spine because it controls what whatever else happens around the pelvis. So just to just to let the thing move the way the thing's meant to move is extremely important. Um, so you know the breathing and walking um, is that going to cure someone's debilitating nasty back pain no but it's going to get them up and help them move a bit um i think i, I, I usually start with that um and then where we go to i think um uh, we're meant to be my whole thing what i what i say to my my patients is we were designed to be out hunting and gathering um you know chasing and fighting and fighting and and dancing around the fire at night and, and chanting um and stomping our feet while we cooked our kangaroo that that's what our 
that's what calibrates our bodies and that is not what we do on the whole. We tend to, we tend to be a little bit too um, uh, frozen up. So I often say to them, you know, before you even think about, you know, getting into any heavy duty treatment, find what gives you joy. And, and more often than not, um, a lot of people completely forget what joy is when they're in persistent pain. Like things, the whole family, everything gets a little bit uh, hard going. Um, and, and more often than not, um, it's singing and it's music. Um, we've, got to be, we've got to get this brain to start processing in different ways. Um, I treat a lot of um, people with PTSD. So uh, what we know with PTSD is that their amygdala um, tends to start uh, hijacking. Um, and if we can get them into what we call their medial prefrontal cortex, which can come from um, exercising well and uh, coping with a bit of exercise into pain, um, uh, often it comes from uh, coordinated rhythmic uh, well-timed movement. Um, they often can have their uh, medial prefrontal cortex start to modulate or, or, or downtrain the amygdala reflex. So, um, yeah, the PTSD stuff I find really interesting. Uh, and it, it's something, too, that you, um, I think goes a little bit under-recognised, um, uh, the amount of fighting and flight uh, reactions that people live with 24-7 when they've got persistent pain. So um, chanting, no one whistles anymore. I, get, I often get my uh, patients to sing, uh, and I get, I get them to actually just dance to their favourite dance to their favourite music, even if it's very limited dancing to their favourite move music. And people say to me, geez, that's really wafty and it's not really scientific. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm not, you know, getting them on the bed and doing, you know, high-level manual therapy on them and I'm not doing high-level zoomed-in specific exercise, but what I'm doing is just letting their bodies do what their bodies are designed to do, which is, you know, hunt, gather, dance, sing, chant, you know, easy stuff. I think we forget about that. So what All I'm those wafty, non-specific things. <laughs> so what I'm hearing you say is um, from the physical side of things that you see a lot of people because they, when they're in pain, they go up into their coat hanger, they lock up that their abdominal, yeah. they lock up their back. And so they yeah. start missing some of this motion, which you're just introducing back into their walking. Something as simple yeah. as walking. So we're dealing yeah. with the physical, we're getting them up and moving, which we know is good for their mental health as well as their physical health, as well as their pain. Um, from the psychological and sociological side of things, getting them to do things that they like, getting them to, so simple things like breathing, uh, simple things like walking, uh, doing activities that they love, um, doing social things like singing and dancing, um, these are all things that you're putting inside your treatment and that's why it's a holistic biopsychosocial approach. Am I getting yeah, that right? That's, yeah, that, that's, that's the physical side of what I do with it. But it's also, yeah, and this, this is a wonderful computerised, wonderful thing that we'll never understand up here and it's, it, it needs a lot of different input. With um, with persistent pain, we talk about the neuromatrix, and it's got inputs and outputs. And there, you know, there are things you can do to hack the input to a to a, a nervous system that is um, struggling. Um, and and things like 
walking with a swagger and you know getting out in, in in the environment and and correcting your breathing pattern breathing breathing actually can be quite tricky to correct on your own and very often you do need to have a somebody who knows how to do that with your yoga yoga therapists are often very good at it um so you know i think i think adding that into it uh would help and i i think realizing that it's um it, it's okay um to come out uh, keep get moving and, and, and not be afraid to go and live your life. Because a, a lot of, a lot of my patients who come in, um, they've often been through years of physio uh, or therapy. I'm seeing lots of multiple practitioners. They've, um, they've had uh, failed back surgeries. They've had um, uh, lots of disappointment. And I think just giving yourself a break and actually finding stuff that you enjoy doing. If you can go for a swagger on the beach, as far as I'm concerned, that's better therapy than I can give you. Um, it's it's quite important, and all the immune uh, immune system effects on glia. We've got things called glial cells that you know get involved with pain as well. They all love going for walks on the beach. You know, they all love going into the park and playing with the kids and all that sort of stuff. So I think I think we've got to um, not think that's wafty soft stuff. I think the physios and the therapists have got to sort of start to realise that we can introduce that a bit more. Love it. I'm just thinking, um, Robin, I can see a book in your future that's going to be hacking your brain relief or something like that. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, one of the other things that I do um, is um, I'm a TRE practitioner, a trauma release uh, exercise practitioner. Um, they're, they're all over the place. Um, um, they're, uh, it's an American psych technique um, where uh, we teach people how to allow or how to trigger off their body's natural healing reflex. So, um, I use it a lot with my persistent pain patients because it's one of those self-efficacy things where um, if you've ever been really frightened and you've had the tremors or um, if, if fireworks go off and you've seen a dog shake, that's actually a mammalian uh, healing reflex. Primitive cultures use it all the time. Um, you know, they, they, they stomp around the fire at night and all of a sudden someone starts shaking and, you know, it's all very melodramatic and entertaining, but primitive cultures still use it. They use it to calibrate and clean out their, for me, it's body hygiene all the time. We don't. If we, if we get um, shaky and nervous, we tend to stiffen ourselves up and hold it. Um, so what, what that technique is, it basically uses muscle fatigue in the muscles that would pull you into a fetal position. Um, and we let the reflex come through and we teach people how to control it. So it's, a, it's a, literally a, a full body shaking. They do it laying down. Um, so things like that, um, you know, that they could, uh, patients who people could look into doing things like that if they feel that they've run up a few dry creeks with um, their usual therapy, because that is hacking the brain. What you're doing there is you're changing, you're changing the input and you're changing the output of um, what your brain's up to. There's a lot of stuff out there that we tended to have lost contact with because we've been too biomechanical. I um on on the trauma release exercise stuff. I'm not I'm not trained in it, but I was you know you showed me this thing and I experienced it and um and I actually referred a patient to you to to do a remote consult with and um when I saw her again I said so did you get in touch with Robin Robin hasn't told me anything. Um, she told me she looked something up on YouTube and has been doing it at home. And I'm like, oh, you got to be, you got to be really <laughs> careful with that sort of stuff. But like, she was, she's been loving it because she's got a very highly stressful job. And um, 
she finds it really relaxing. But I, I told her, you know, any because you told me things like uh, any sort of past trauma, psych issues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's yeah. lots of things that you got to be careful of. So, um, yeah. If yeah. if people yeah. listening do go off and and look stuff up and and try it on their own, please be aware that there are things that you need to be careful of. Um, because, you know, people will go off and go, oh, she mentioned TRE. Let's go have a look at that. Yeah. And you can find yeah. stuff. I found the video. She sent me the video of where she did, she followed the procedure basically that you took me through and it's on YouTube. And um, mm. Unfortunately, that's, that's she it's does. on YouTube. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. what she does. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. 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 It would be. It would always be good to have someone to guide you through the process and explain the neurophysiology and what's going on because it really is. It's it's talking. Uh, it's talking to the brain, but it's also mucking around with the um, spinal cord reflexes. And if you've got if you've got a therapist helping you do it, um, I we can localize the um, the the reflex that you've got going on at the level that issues are at so you know it's um yeah you, you're probably better to do it with somebody but they you know they're the alternatives it's not a matter of walking into a clinic and someone telling you that your your right pelvic bones twisted forward and we need to push it back and then we need to crack your neck it's not that and we kind of you know it might give you 10 or 15 minutes of relief and it give you a window to exercise but it's not going to be that you have to learn how to uh, work with your own body yeah um, speaking about hacking your neural system, the inputs and the outputs, um, I went to your pain course earlier this year and one of the things you gave us all was this long poster, beautifully illustrated uh, poster of all these different loops and inputs and outputs and uh, because, you know, we, we know about sensory nerves, we know about motor nerves but we often forget about the autonomic nervous system. Yep. Do you want to do you want to speak about your poster and some of the yep. some of the things that are on it? Sure. Um, so that was the pain loops poster. And what, what I what I did, I I drawn it a few hundred times for patients, roughly, and I thought I'll just draw it up. Um, so what what it, what it's all about? I'm just trying to see whether I've got one here. I don't think I've got one on me. Um, I'm quite happy to, if you want to attach that to something with this too, Anthony, people can have a look at it. But ba basically, um, the, there's different things that feed into the brain that will um, determine what your, your pain output is. And the bio part of it's very small. What we've got, we've got a whole heap of other factors that feed into the brain. Um, depending on what sort of the processing of the brain that's already going on, you'll get an output. Now, if, you, if you've had pain for six months and you walk in to see a therapist and um, on the first day um, you start to understand why your nervous system's sensitizing like it is um, if you understand that that it's good to keep walking that it's good to you know keep a little bit active then what you tend to find is that you'll come out um, on a certain loop if you go into a, a therapist and the first thing that they say to you is oh look at that that's the worst x-ray or scan I've ever seen and um, you know all oh, your, your pelvis is off and you, you're out here and you're out there then that's what that's what I would say would be uh, going to take you on a, a negative pain route because you know it, it, we know from the research that that stuff's not important that much. You know, the, the alignment, the asymmetries and the postures really aren't that important in, when it comes to pain. 
Um, so um, it, it, then you'll get, depending on what that first output is, it'll feed around and it'll go back into your brain and your brain will do a bit more processing with it. So if you've had a, a really positive um, experience and, you know, you think that's, you know, I think I can get better, I, you know, it sounds pretty positive, um, the threat level goes down. If the threat level goes down, if we can decrease the threat, then the protective predictive pain um, system will drop. If you leave there thinking, oh, that was, she said I had the back, worst back I've ever seen and, you know, it's going to take 10 sessions every month for the rest of my life and I'm going to have to give her a direct deposit and sign up and keep coming back. Uh, we have therapists around us who do um, direct debits and if patients don't turn up, they lose their money and if they turn up, that get it. I, I find that disabling. I think that's a shocking thing to do to someone. But anyway, um, um, so you know, you, we've just got to make sure people get onto um, the the positive loops. And you know, a, a lot of it is common sense. And, and sometimes the common sense just doesn't come out in therapy. Sometimes I think. That's, that's I'm more than more than happy to send that to you, and you can attach it. That'd be great. That'd be really handy. Um, so, Robin, for people who have had a really um, significant experience with pain and they've managed to have that resolved that is obviously a positive experience in the sense that they know that they were able to move past that um, one of the things that i think was really important you said earlier about the the fact that most people experience some pain right like it's mm. it's part of life we all have pain so, sorry we all have pain we all have pain mm. we all have pain and so they've had that experience where they're able to resolve that pain and move on with life then that can help with, you know, another episode later on. Is that something that you address with clients? And just, I'm just thinking like of a client I saw recently and I, I actually said to her, look, the chances are in the next 12 months, you're going to have some yep. back pain. Yep. Um, that is not necessarily a sign that your disc is blown out or this has happened. It's a, it, it happens to everybody. We all have pain. But when you've had pain before, it, you can, I mean, I've had this myself. Yep, absolutely. You know, yeah. Pain. The first time you get back pain again after that, yep. language, very but scary. Shit. Yeah. Shit, shit. I can't do that again. Like yep. it, you know. And so, what, what kind of um, hints would you have, or, or feedback would you have for clients, just to reassure them for their next episode, because it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, I, I actually go into the pain science a little bit with them. I talk about the neuro tags, so the the little the processes in your brain that go, oh, I remember that when I bent forward and I picked up that bucket, and uh, or every time I bent, mm, you know, those protective things. I explain that they're there and that you know that we have to override them a little bit. Um, I've got a really good story that I tell my um, patients all the time, bit bit like your your back. I um was an elite level swimmer. Uh, lived with really rotten, painful shoulders for years on end um i went up to the moscow olympics and didn't swim after so 1980 stopped swimming um and uh didn't actually get back into the pool so i've had shoulder pain um since i stopped swimming in 1980 and 2014 um uh was just a shocking year for our family um i had um four deaths in four weeks including um both my parents um and um after at, uh, after my dad passed away he was the last of them who went um i was sitting on the bed um i had to go and organize the funeral parlor and all that sort of stuff and um i said to my husband i can't get dressed i cannot get dressed and i, I literally couldn't lift my arms up and I said, shit, I feel like I've been 
swimming in the surf or something. And I knew I hadn't. I've been sitting next to a nursing home bed for a few days. Um, so what had happened is that the threat level of this month of stress had just gotten so severe that my, my neuro tags for my old shoulder problem flared up. So my brain's way of protecting me from this extremely stressful situation was to light me up. Um, and I, I sat there for about five minutes going, oh man, I can do without this right now. And I just gently talked to myself and I, I, I said, hey, not, not helpful. Come on, let me, let me move. And within about five minutes, I was fine. Um, but it was full on serious, couldn't get dressed. I, I was nearly going to have to go and um, call someone to help me get a bra on because I just couldn't get dressed. Uh, and that, to me, that, that was the best example of that predictive, overprotective um, little thing sitting in your brain just waiting to come back. And I, I explained to my patients that that may well um, be a factor with them as well. And, you know, if, you, if you've got other factors that are a little bit like... Uh, throwing fuel onto the fire for them you know if, if if somebody's turning up and they're having to deal with over christmas who tends to trigger them a little bit um, work stress financial stress all that is just petrol on the fire that might start to light up their protective system you just have to be aware of it yeah and uh, easier said than done but once you, once you've overcome it once the resilience is there and you can you can go okay i can i can work this out sometimes you have to get a bit of help from a therapist so what you can work it out I was going to I was going to ask because when you know sometimes when these issues are brought up that other events going on in your life can increase your pain how do you approach that in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're not mentally strong enough or they they're not coping and they're not like, yeah, a lot of people feel like they're inadequate if they can't deal with all of this and and keep going and they've got this pain that's stopping them from doing things what's some of the ways that that you approach that type of issue? Well, I, I basically, um, I talk to them like a, a, another person. I, I talk to them about, you know, life. Life, life is not um, what we do in the West. So there's many, many components to us and you just have to accept that your, your psyche, your, your, the way that we function um, is completely complex uh, and that many things, things affected and it's not a matter of being strong enough to cope with it it's a matter that this is a, a, a protective predictive process that goes on uh, and that it, it takes input from all sorts of areas and that's just life I think I think we've really um, if you like pathologized pain and um, I, I think we have to just uh, stand back as society and start to think of it more as just something that happens to all of us I know you do like to shake the tree, Robin. Um, <laughs> and so I like to shake the tree. I think that's why we get on. Um, what are some of the characteristics, um, you, know, you know, Marika asked it earlier, um, some of those characteristics of, of things in therapists, where do you think the future of physiotherapy, which is, you know, our common profession here, mm -hmm. but future any therapy chiro osteo massage whatever therapist uh there is out there helping people at the moment what do you think the future looks like can you see into the future 20 30 40 years and and yeah. and suggest what you think good therapy should look like now really but what you think will mm. take a generation to come 
Yeah. Um, I think at the moment it's still too much. You come and you pay me and I will fix you. Um, what I would want, um, it, it's called interactive versus operator. So at the moment, I think we're a little bit still too operator. I, I will fix you. You come to me, I'll do this to you. Um, definitely, it's going to be a little bit more what we call interactor um, process. So I would be just become part of your team and I will help you. I'll help your leading and I will help you along your way. Um, so I think the power dynamics, the power asymmetries that exist in therapy should disappear. Um, I think, I think therapists, like I'm going to be cross-trained between a physio and a psych. It's going to be, I'm going to be practicing as a psych. I'm going to have my hands off, but I'm also a fit pro. Like I'm a, I'm a highly qualified Pilates and, um, um, I've got all sorts of fitness, um, uh, qualifications as well so you know, i like exercising my patients i like some you know doing all sorts of things with them um so i think we're going to be um the therapists of the future are going to be much more well-rounded i think we're going to be um uh, one of the one of the things that have has cost me in the past as a therapist and actually cost me a um 10 years ago it cost me a partnership in a practice i came back to australia and i was working for somebody and they thought the way that I approached patients was a bit weird. Um, so it cost me the partnership. Um, but I went and set up a good one anyway, I'm known. But it, um, it, it's, it, I, I think it, we won't look like we, we do now because we're going to be doing a lot of more generalised things. Um, I, I never thought when I was doing my MANIPS training in 1988, I mean, I spent two years learning how to crack backs and necks, um, that I would be sitting talking to my patient about stuff, uh, what I would call waffly soft stuff, um, you know, about sleep and, you know, all that sort of thing. I never thought I'd be doing that. Um, but in actual fact, most of the time now, you know, I, I spend a fair bit of time talking, which is, um, not what most therapists would, physical type therapists would be trained to do. Interesting. Yeah. I think the training is going to have to change. I think we might need to have an extra piece of the training to, for people to go through psych. Um, I don't know how we're going to do it. It's, it's interesting. I was just yeah. reflecting on the fact that all three of us have postgraduate qualifications in manual therapy. therapy and we um, don't actually do a lot of manual therapy. Yeah. I think I think it's handy for me. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think it's a yeah. problem with that. Yeah, I, no. I'm very much biased towards exercise and lifestyle yeah. modification. Yeah. And I think the manual therapy. I think we need really good manual therapists. So I think it's very good for clinical reasoning. Um, I still have people coming in, and I do full um, manual therapy assessments on them. You know, uh, the the from that perspective, because I have it's my job as a physio to make sure that there isn't something bio there that has been missed and, and that is a little bit of a problem with this new shift to the biopsychosocial too because you're getting people um fobbing people off um and uh missing stuff i, I i've you know you, if, if there's a, a bio thing we tell need to that, pick it up tell us that story, tell us that story. <laughs> which you know, one's this one the, oh, the, the guy who walked one? in no the guy who walked oh no in. The, the newest one yeah um i had a uh, he's at, i'm actually still in the middle of all this with him you mean the space of the artificial disc boy yeah um i had a fellow come in i was in my lunch break and everyone was out of the clinic and i had this fellow come crawling literally crawling through the door um he had uh, he was a, a, a chippy a plasterer he was on a con uh, construction site fell off some scaffolding i think he fell about 12 meters onto concrete um hurt his hip and hurt his back 
went through a process with workers' comp. Um, um, don't bend, don't move with physios. Very biomedical, very... Um, no one really looked after his psyche at all. Um, no one really realised that going through this whole 12 months long process that led up to having um, some back surgery, that he'd actually not been able to pay his rent, that he'd become homeless and uh, there was huge psychosocial pressure on him. He was actually living uh, in the car park uh, near the private hospital where his physio was in his car because everything just, this has fallen apart. So, you know, this is the conversations that I now have with my patients to know how they're going with all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, after a while, um, because there was so much threat in his system, because he had people telling him that he should have been getting better and he wasn't getting better and he was possibly malingering and wanting more medications, um, somehow he ended up um, having a back surgery and had two artificial, uh, two artificial discs inserted got came out of that feeling a bit better um, went through living in the car park um, doing some full-on rehabilitation after six weeks started to say to the the physio who was looking after him I I feel like I'm not feeling so good I feel like my pain levels are going up um, the physio assumed that he was after more meds because by then he was on a fair bit of medication um, Went back to the surgeon for the six-week checkup. Surgeon heard from the therapist that he was after meds and didn't do a check X-ray. So um, uh, the, 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 the disc had actually um, slipped forward about, a, I think it was almost two centimetres, was pushing into his aorta. So this fellow um, basically um, was uh, on this downward spiral and actually moved up to, he was all in New South Wales, moved to Queensland to be near his family and just happened to come through the door one day because he was heading to the beach to drown himself. Um, so all it took was me to give up my lunch break and sit down with him and actually just listen to the story. Um, and then um, I sent him for an x-ray. <laughs> Uh, the x-ray came back and the radiologist all of a sudden who took the x-ray was calling his surgeon and um, uh, he went back. Um, they couldn't, couldn't fix it, um, nearly died on the table. They put some screws in his back, um, uh, went to the physio. Physio said, just get your multifidus moving and don't bend. Um, so this poor fellow, you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think it could have been done worse. Um, so... I was in a really difficult situation. I ended up just talking to him. I said, I can't, I'm physically not going to treat you. We need to get you to a good neurosurgeon somewhere else. Um, he's been tested. Um, they've told him they've got three vascular surgeons, um, the two neurosurgeons, um, told, told to come back home for Christmas and that he will be operated on in the new year uh, and that um, probably 70% chance that he'll die on the table because they, uh, they won't, he'll bleed out. So um, this is, and he's going to go for it because he doesn't he doesn't feel like he's got a life um, with the pain that he's living in. But the really interesting thing was is if I I think if if we he had a biopsychosocial approach right from the get go, um, people would have picked up that he was living in his car, and people would have you know people would have picked up that he probably wasn't abusing his meds, and that X ray may have may have been done. Um, so that's probably the worst example of too much um too much bio and then jumping to the opposite extreme of just get on with it and it, they, they were rehabbing him really really hard he was doing full and, on rehab and how long was that rehab going for like after the operation he, i picked him up at four months 
Yeah, so he'd been pushed through uh, six weeks. He started to feel like something had gone wrong and he'd, he pushed through for four months. But I think from, if I remember correctly, Robin, from that story, you felt that it was actually your manual therapy skills. Um, oh, sure. Yeah, he, he came in, uh, yeah, he came into the clinic and I said, look, just come and let me have a look. And I had a chat to him for about mm, 20 minutes or so. So can I just have a look at your back? And I, I just, just had a little bit of palpation, a little bit of a feeling. And it was just nothing that I'd ever felt. It was very odd. And I said, let's get an x-ray. So there's always, there's always a place for bio. Um, but um, I, I think, I think that's where it becomes difficult. I think that's the reason I've gone off and done psychology as well because I've got the bio side nailed, um, but I know that I'm not so good on the other stuff, so I've got to firm that up with myself. And, you know, I'd said it on a recent podcast, you know, people are like pancakes where mm. there's flour, eggs and, and water, and you can't just look at a person and say, Oh, this is the bio. This is a bio problem. We're going to ignore the psychosocial. Absolutely. You know, like yeah. all of it is always mixing in all the time. Yeah, all the time. Yeah, and you know, it, I, I I always say I, I'm mentoring a few people now, a few physios, and uh, I always say to them, look, I honestly I I know less now than I've ever known about persistent pain. I I, I think I know my pain signs really well. I think I'm up to date with all my research. I think I kind of know where I'm going with it, but I, I'm much, much more humble now than I've ever been. Just the way it works. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's a really incredibly challenging area to, to work in, Robin, and I, it is, yeah. I take my hat to you because I know you deal with it a lot every day and I have done a little bit in the past, but I do tend to work much more with, you know, pregnant ladies and acute postnatal um, type situations. So That's I think... Yeah, which is really important and hopefully preventing people from getting to that um, more persistent situation where I feel like if I can help them develop some of those, you know, those feelings of safety in their body and the, develop the resilience. Yeah, absolutely. Recognising that their bodies are incredible and they're, they're resilient and that they're strong and that they want to heal. Your body yeah. wants to heal itself. It's incredible. Absolutely. Um, yeah. These are messages. Actually, I say to my kids all the time because when they have a little scratch or whatever i was like it's amazing look at what your body does look at how it heals itself you can't even see what you did to your hand two days ago. It's amazing yeah yeah they are I, it, I i'm amazed every day when i come to work and now I, i've had some very um complex complex disabled people um and you know they're they're back doing whatever they want to do now it's just a matter of um having the time and just just you know working it working it out there are others I haven't been so successful with, but um, yeah, I think uh, I love this work now. So in summary, Robin, why do we still have so much back pain? We're waiting. We're waiting for a shift in the thinking process in the medical system, in society in general. Um, I think uh, there's always the issue of uh, big pharma. Um, you know, one of the things I deal with here every day is opioid addiction. Um, so, you know, we've, we've just got to move away from the fact that we need a pill um, to cure our pain. Um, I, I, one of the things that it's taken me a long time to come to the conclusion to is that we have to accept that pain's part of life and that um, we need to... We need to find the people who can help us or we need you know, somehow to do it ourselves to um, move through. And I, and I think, you know, we've got the other problem is that, I shouldn't, I will say, um, uh, it, we've got the problem that um, people, like 
there are clinics that everywhere people make money out of bio. People, people make money out of getting people on beds and pushing and stretching and popping. And I, I like it. I, I, I have massages and I have, um, you know, my back mobilized every now and then, but that is our current model. It's biomedical. And, you know, to be honest with, with the sort of work that I'm doing, um, I, I'm treating a lot less patients because they take me longer and I'm making less money than I ever have. So I think that's a reason too. It's really hard, that, and that's a that's a very complex and difficult reason. Having said that, you know we still need bio. Uh, as a sports physio, you know there's a lot of bio involved with that. Biomechanics, we still need it all. Absolutely. The bath water, right, Robin? Yeah, I think I think that's um, and that's one of the things about social media. There are these big pendulum swings that people are on. You know? A couple of years ago, people were saying, "Well, don't do manual therapy. Lift and get strong, strong, strong." And you know, you look at the research for that, and it's no different. So, yeah, it's 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 complex, very complex. Awesome, Robin. Um, before we finish up, is there anything else that you'd love to talk about, or that you'd love to mention about this topic? Because we're going to get you back to talk about many different topics. I love talking with you and I always learn so much from you. <laughs> um, listen, I think, I, I, I think it's a crisis. If we've got, you know, if we've had a 54% increase in back pain from 1990 to 2015, I think society as a whole, we're going to have to jump onto this. And um, I, would love, I would love to go into schools and be talking to kids about how, you know, how, how what pain is and how to deal with pain not tell them how to sit up straight and not tell them how to pull their tummy muscles in but actually just teach people about what what pain is and what contributes to pain and talk about psychology and talk about autonomic nervous systems fizzing and how to dip down train autonomic nervous systems i think we have to um, go about this a little bit differently and i think there's change towards that um, I've seen Laura Mosley's out riding bikes around Tasmania and doing pain education with GPs and people. I think that's great. Um, wafting and soft and, you know, I've, and weed is another word that I've been used with the way I work weird from other therapists. So wafty, soft and weed, way to go. <laughs> I think you said weed like cannabis, like get your patients to also smoke cannabis. No, no, weird, weird, weird <laughs> as if in, this is not what we learnt to do at uni sort of thing. We like a bit of weird, don't we, Anthony? <laughs> Weird is good. Different is definitely, good. definitely. Different is good. I love weird. So, Robert, if people want to find you, can you just tell us a little bit about where you're located or how people can reach you? Yeah. Um, maybe if they want to have a, an online consult or a second opinion or something like that. Sure. Um, I work at Alchemy in Motion at Noosa in Queensland. Um, um, if you look up Alchemy in Motion, you'll, you'll be, get contacts to me there. I, I'm quite happy to um, work with people on online. Um, yeah, I think um, I'm only working three days a week now, but I've got a couple of other days that I do other things. So, and in that time, I, I get online with people. So more than happy to give anybody a hand. And therapy, I think there's therapists out there as well, not just public people I'm talking to. So yeah, if there's any therapists out there who um, are not understanding where I might be coming from, just let me know and I can have a chat to you as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much, Robin, for coming on the show. Uh, it's been fantastic to have your wisdom and your knowledge and I know how much reading of the research you do and um, you know I've been on courses and I like I mean the the I would say the only problem that I personally have on the course as a participant is simply 
the volume of information yeah. that you have to share. You know, like there's just so much that you want to share. You're very, very generous and um, really appreciate you in the industry and, and would never actually want you to stop doing physio because we need you far too much. Um, we do. We need you, Robin. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? We need you. Uh, I'll, I'll be around doing something. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. See Thanks ya. Thank you very much. See you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you. If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode. Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.